Hi, everyone. We're conducting an audience survey, and we'd be really grateful if you could take just a few minutes and answer a few questions. Please visit survey.prx.org happiness to take the survey today. That's survey.prx.org happiness. Thank you. The Science of Happiness is brought to you by the John Templeton Foundation. The Templeton Foundation harnesses the power of the sciences to explore the deepest and most perplexing questions facing humankind. Learn how their grantees are helping to address the coronavirus crisis at templeton.org. The Science of Happiness is brought to you by Progressive, one of the country's leading providers of auto insurance. With Progressive's Name Your Price tool, you say what kind of coverage you're looking for and how much you want to pay, and Progressive will help you find options that fit within your budget. Use the Name Your Price tool and start an online quote today at Progressive.com. Price and coverage match limited by state law. My experience of loneliness really began in childhood when as a student in elementary school, I, I really struggled with loneliness because I was very shy as a child. And even though I wanted to connect with other kids, it was hard for me to do so. And so each morning when my parents dropped me off to school, I had this sense of dread. I didn't want to be alone once again on the playground. And I certainly dreaded walking into the cafeteria each day, not knowing if there would be somebody to sit next to. And that stayed with me for many, many years, that sense of deep loneliness, but also the shame that came with it, because I never told my parents about those struggles with loneliness, because I somehow felt it was evidence that I was broken or deficient in some way, and, and I was embarrassed. I was reminded of those childhood experiences when I began my career in medicine, because I encountered more loneliness among my patients than I ever thought I would. I spent all of these years in medical training learning about how to diagnose and treat heart disease, how to think about diabetes, but I learned nothing really about loneliness. And so I wasn't prepared when I entered the hospital to see so many patients who would come in alone and at critical moments when we had to have a really tough conversation with them about a new diagnosis or about a treatment decision, that there was nobody there other than them to participate in that conversation. And I would ask sometimes, I would say, you know, is there somebody you'd like like me to call? And they would say, you know, I wish there was, but, but there's nobody. And even though I was more able to see loneliness around me as a result of what I had gone through, I didn't know how to address it. And during the, all those years in medicine, I felt that, gosh, I was seeing a profound problem, but did not have the tools to know how to respond to it or how to help my patients, and, and that felt bad. More than three out of five adults in the United States are either always or mostly lonely, and those are numbers that actually come from before COVID-19. We know that when we feel lonely or excluded or rejected by peers, a part of our brains that's associated with pain gets activated. And we know that loneliness is associated with anxiety and heart disease and obesity and shorter life expectancies. It even has been compared to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. I'm Dacher Keltner. This is The Science of Happiness. And I'm joined today by Vivek Murthy, former U.S. Surgeon General and author of Together, The Healing Power of Human Connection in a Sometimes Lonely World. Vivek tried a practice that helps strengthen human connection in his own life. And he's going to talk about that today on our show. Vivek, it's great to have you here. Thanks so much for having me, Decker. It's good to be with you. 
You know, Vivek, when I talk to people about this epidemic of loneliness and what to do about it and how to find connection, I always direct them to this research by Shelley Gable at UC Santa Barbara on capitalizing on positive events. So to do this practice, you ask a friend to talk about something good that happened to them, and then you're given these prompts that come out of the scientific literature to help you respond in a, a warm way, like making eye contact, giving supportive feedback, asking really good questions, things like that. In this practice, you use the conversation about a positive event to get closer to the person you're talking to. Why did you choose this practice? I think I've noticed since I was young that I have a tendency to focus on the things that are not going well. Hmm. And I think it's one of the reasons that I've struggled with self-esteem for for much of my life. And, you know, sometimes you know, people look at you from the outside and they say, oh, well, it seems like you've done pretty well in life. Like, why would you have issues with self-esteem? It's not about what you've done. It's not about what's on your resume. It's not yeah. about how much is in your bank account. It's about how you perceive yourself and how you measure the world. And do you tend to look more at the darkness or at the light? And what I realized has been true for me since really since I was a child is that that focus on the dark is part of my pattern. And it's something I need to be aware of so that I can address it proactively. And that's why this exercise in particular really stood out for me because it was an opportunity to focus very consciously on what was good, on the positive, on what I had to be grateful for. I raise this because some people naturally do this in their lives very easily. They tend toward the positive. But for those of us who may not, or for whom life circumstances have allowed those dark clouds to gather, you know, we may be going through a particularly hard time, we need to consciously put ourselves in a position where we can focus on what we're grateful for. How'd it go for you? The way that I did it is I identified a friend that I wanted to speak with on a regular basis. And every couple of days, we got on the phone. Often we actually tried to video conference because we wanted to be able to see each other. And during the few minutes that we had together, I I just asked him what few things could he remember in his day that he was grateful for? What points of light was he willing to share with me? Hmm. And then I did the same for him. But during the time that he was speaking, even though it wasn't long, I just tried to be fully present and to listen, not to multitask, check my email, do other things. I just tried to sit in a quiet place and listen. Hmm. And what was really striking to me, Dakar, is number one, I just felt better about the world by having the chance to focus on what was positive, not even by focusing on the positive things that were happening in my life, but even just hearing what was going well in his life yeah, actually made me feel better. But the second thing that struck me is how little time it took. Yeah, Because I think we sometimes might assume that, okay, if we really want to have a positive interaction with somebody, we've got to put aside an hour to have a really thoughtful conversation. And sometimes those can be wonderful. But I'm also struck by how just by being fully present with somebody for a few minutes, we can actually stretch time. We can make five minutes feel like 30 minutes Hmm. when we're both fully there. One of the most enduring things I took from reading your book, and it's a wonderful read, is this idea that it's really the quality rather than the quantity or amount of time you spend with people. And, you know, we know from the science of taking in people and admiring them that it actually stretches the sense of time. So it's, it's fascinating to think about that. I'm, I'm curious, Vivek, what other things did you notice in your own 
well-being and emotions as you took in the descriptions of good things in his life? Well, I noticed that my mood lifted. I felt more optimistic about the world and less weighed down by the challenges I was dealing with, even though those challenges hadn't changed at all. They were still there. I noticed that I had more physical energy as well. And all of that was was so striking because it, it required very little time to generate those feelings. I also noticed that those feelings lasted for a while. Like, and by a while, I mean for many hours after wow. that conversation. And I looked forward to the next conversation. This was a small but unexpected thing, which was that I realized that having regularity in this kind of experience was really helpful, not only because it grounded me during times when I would drift away, but also because it gave me something to look forward to. And somebody once said to me that 90% of the benefit of vacations is in the anticipation of them. <laughs> And I actually think this was somewhat true here as well, yeah. knowing that I had oh. this short conversation that was going to be really fulfilling and gratifying. It just gave me something to look forward to, you know, uh, even right after the first one finished and waiting for the second one. And that act of having a conversation with somebody, even though it was short, that also was focused on listening to them, that was incredibly powerful because there is something extraordinary about listening fully to someone else, about being present for someone. So much of, I think, our society guides us to focus on action. Like when we hear a problem, we think we need to solve it. When we see someone in distress, we think we need to talk Mm. them through it. But sometimes it is our presence, the power of our presence, that itself can be deeply healing. Mm. And I was reminded of that during this exercise. The instructions for the capitalizing on positive events practice are to listen and respond to someone else talking about a good moment in their life. And you added an extra step where you took turns sharing positive news with a friend. Vivek, what compelled you to do that? Well, I added this step because I realized that I needed to remember what I was grateful for too. And that by saying it aloud, there was something powerful about emphasizing to myself with somebody else there as a witness that this was something I should focus on, this positive development. And they also felt like there was an accountability as well by talking to someone else about it because my friend would reaffirm for me, yes, this is a really powerful experience you had. This is something you really should be grateful for. So that's why I did it as well. It was because I realized as powerful as the listening was and as good as I felt hearing what my friend was grateful for, that I also benefited from sharing, and I found that he did as well. You know, Vivek, your instinct was correct. Studies show that when we share our good news with other people, it makes us happier about the news for a longer period of time. And we'll come back to that science later in our show. So what were the recurring themes or positive events that you two talked about? My friend would often talk about people in his life, the kind words that his partner expressed, the unexpected act of kindness that came from a colleague at work who was looking out for him. And it it was striking to me that very few of those moments of gratitude were centered around him receiving praise or getting a certain recognition or award. While all of those do bring some degree of joy, it was really through relationships that so many of his most precious moments for which he was grateful were actually delivered. You know, it's so interesting after thinking about this practice when I, was, I actually teach it in human happiness. Now it's on Zoom during COVID-19. And I asked my several hundred students, like, 
share with me something good that's happened to you and on chat share with your fellow students and out came this outflow of you know reaching out to a parent or talking to a friend or you know cooking a dinner with somebody you're sheltering with or getting outside and what really struck me is how much listening to other people was part of the good things that were happening during this unusual time you know in light of all the thinking you've done on loneliness and the health of the United States and we're in this very unusual time of COVID-19 you know, right now, what do you think are some of the ways that we can take on the profound loneliness that a lot of people are feeling? I do think that COVID-19 poses a threat to our connection to one another, mm. not only because of the physical distancing, but also because the virus in some ways has made us fearful of each other. Yeah. Sometimes we may look at others in the grocery store and wonder if they're a source of infection or, yeah. and try to stay away from them. I worry that if we do nothing differently, that COVID-19 will deepen the loneliness that people feel and and threaten a social recession of sorts that will Mm -hmm. be just as consequential as the economic recession we may be facing. But I don't think it has to be that way. I actually think that the silver lining to COVID-19 is it presents an opportunity for us to engineer a social revival Mm -hmm. in our own lives and the in society more broadly. And we can do this by stepping back and using this moment to take stock of our lives, to ask ourselves, where do we want relationships to fit in our priority list? Is there a gap between how much we say we value people and where we're actually putting our time, energy, and effort? And I'll say for me, there is a gap, and I want to close that gap. The challenge that we have right now as a society and as individuals is to figure out how to build a people-centered life Mm. and a people-centered world. It's where we build curricula in schools and we design workplaces to support human connection. It's when we put our relationships first and cultivate relationships, recognizing that that's what actually enables dialogue to happen. And without dialogue, we can't come together as a community to address difficult problems. So if I had a simple credo, it would be, three words. It would be put people first. Those three words are, I believe, the guideposts that I want to follow in my life as I think about how to lead the kind of life, not only that I want, but that I want to model for my children. And I hope that if we put people first in every dimension of our life, my hope is that we will have more robust, more connected, and ultimately more fulfilled experiences in life. You know, Over in the science of happiness literature, we've been documenting in some of the studies that you've cited that loneliness costs us years of life expectancy. It just hurts us physically and mentally, and social connection is such an antidote. And and I am very grateful that you are leading the way in what may be a a social revival, as you say, coming out of this COVID-19 pandemic. So thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you so much, Dr. There are so many challenges in the world these days, it's easy to only focus on the negative. Because our brains are so good at holding on to that and being aware of that, I think it's helpful and good to try to basically hack or override that system and to do things that also bring positive memories. More up next. Hiring the right team for your business can be a long and arduous process. With Indeed, there are no long-term contracts, you can pause your account at any time, and you only pay for what you need. 
Indeed.com is the hiring site that helps you find quality candidates with Indeed Instant Match. Indeed searches through the millions of resumes in their database to help show you great candidates instantly. Want your quality shortlist fast? You need Indeed. Right now, our listeners get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com happiness. This is Indeed's best offer available anywhere. Get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com happiness. Indeed.com happiness. Offer valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. We know from science that giving to others, especially those in need, can make us happier as a community. Unbound is an international nonprofit that partners with families living in extreme poverty, empowering them to become self-sufficient and fulfill their desired potential. When you sponsor a child, young adult, or elder through Unbound, you invest in personalized benefits that support goals chosen by the sponsored individual and their family. Unbound sends more than $100 million each year to support families in under-resourced countries. You can make a real and direct impact, offering hope in the life of someone when they need it most. Partner with a new friend today at unbound.org happiness. The brain is good at holding on to bad things, but when good things happen to us, they sort of roll off. And this is actually adaptive. It helps us survive in our world. Arpi Hovisapien is a social psychologist and a postdoctoral researcher at Ghent University in Belgium. She says that fixating on the bad has helped humans survive because it makes us vigilant against threats. But this tendency to not get as fixated on the good makes it a bit harder for us to savor and enjoy the good things that happen to us. So what I did was I contacted university students almost immediately after they found out about their exam grade in one of their classes. So for the people that did well and felt a positive emotion, I asked them both immediately after and also a day after to tell us about their intensity and duration of their emotions and who they shared with and what their sharing partners responded with. Arpi found that sharing their good news made them feel the positive emotions more intensely and it also prolonged those good feelings. And importantly, this was especially true when people's sharing partners responded in these particular ways. So if their sharing partners highlighted the importance and the remarkability of the good grades, so they said things like, wow, that's so cool, that's a hard class, and so basically highlighted the unique, surprising, interesting, novel, and valuable aspects of the event. She also found the more people they shared the news with, the more time they spent thinking about it afterward. I think that, especially in a time right now when there's so much bad things happening in the world, and of course we're bombarded by it in the news, and we really have just a lot of negative things on our minds. And because our brains are so good at holding on to that and being aware of that, I think it's helpful and good to try to basically hack or override that system and to do things that also bring positive memories and experiences and feelings into our lives and into our brains. So, you know, savoring and sharing our experiences with other people, whether it's a big thing that happened to us or just a tiny thing, I think it's a nice practice. Next time on The Science of Happiness. I've just started to realize how much I'm a victim of my own self-criticism and how much more powerful I am as a leader and hopefully as a a husband and a father when I am connected to those self-critical parts and I'm able to be compassionate with myself.
I'm Dacher Keltner. Thanks for joining me on the Science of Happiness. You can try our Capitalizing on Positive Events practice at our website at greatergood.berkeley.edu slash podcasts. We've also got a new book out on the science of gratitude featuring many of our past guests like comedian W. Kamau Bell and psychologist Sarah Aljo. Learn more at greatergood.berkeley.edu slash gratitude project. Our podcast is a co-production of UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center and PRX. Our senior producer is Shuka Kalantari. Our engineer is Jenny Cataldo of BMP Audio. Our associate producer is Haley Gray. Our executive producer is Jane Park. Our editor-in-chief is Jason Marsh. Our science director is Emiliana Simon-Thomas. <laughs>